Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. How many of you have ever played a game called Simon Says? A couple of you have. How many haven't? Well, that explains a lot, Jay. Sorry to hear that for you. But it's a real fun game. At least they say it's fun, you know. And you have an announcer on one end. You have a group of hoodlums on the other. I, I mean, good campers on the other and you begin by saying the first one that gets to the finish line wins. And if Simon says, you do the action. If not, you know, you go back. Hopefully, this is not totally new news, except for one or two. And you, you know, Simon says, hop on one foot. Simon says, run three places. Simon says, go backwards one. Simon says, all of this stuff. But the trick is, if you're the caller, is you, you try and speed up the commands in such a way that it trips up the people. That's the whole goal, right? So it's like, Simon says, go ahead three paces. Simon says, go back one. Simon says, go ahead and uh, flail your arms. Go ahead and go three paces. Ah, you went three places. Get back, you know. So it's this whole idea. And what I believe, it trains the children for, campers for, or board retreat for, wherever you're at, is this call in sports. And I already know I'm on shaky ground here because you know me in sports. It's like speaking in tongues with no interpreter around for me. But they have this call called false start. Have any of you heard of false start? Only four of you have heard of false start. How many have not heard false start? Obviously, we're not going to have group participation today. Uh, for those of you, I'll wake you up in about 15 minutes then on there. But false start is this moment where everyone is ready to go, okay? So you have your positions in mind, you know where you're going to go, and you were so caught up in the moment, you knew it was almost just, you had no conscious recollection, just the body went into motion. Whether you jumped down the track or you went after the guy on the opposing line or whatever, and then you had this guy, woo, no, false start. You had no clue what was going on. But you got so caught up in this tension of the right now and the not yet across the line that you had a false start. And this morning, I, I really just want to, I would love just to take the whole chapter of Romans 8, but we're going to take a little bit of it. And I want to talk a little bit about hope, because I believe hope is that tension that is right there on the line, where you have everything, you're, you're wanting so much to be in action, but you can't. And for us, it is that grand desire to be, to have God fully known and fully embraced in front of us, yet to know that we have the now to deal with. And oftentimes, that can put us in great tension, but I believe that Paul really helps to speak of a few things for us, that one of the first things that he believe. Wow, 
I believe that he helps us with is to understand our present situation. Our present situation. This is in Romans 8. So if you have it, I would appreciate it if you go there. Maybe not for any other reasons, but just to flag this because I think this will be a crucial chapter this semester, probably for your life. But he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He helps us to understand this current situation of suffering. And you have to understand a little bit that Paul actually knew his scripture a little bit. And especially in Romans 8, he pulls in a couple of major metaphors that we have for the people of God. One of them is the creation story. You do know the creation story, right? And what is it? Wow, you really do know that story. No wonder it changed your life. In the beginning, God, he created, he made male and female, and then we fell. And so we find this, this is the specific passage that Paul will really bring to light. It's in the cursed portion of Genesis 3, and to Adam he said this, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Male's curse really had an environmental effect Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. And you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. For the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And he pulls in this other powerful metaphor. He pulls in the cursing of creation itself, but he also pulls in this great Exodus story that we have. You remember the Exodus, right? Or is this going to be like creation? It's like, oh yeah, I know that one. What is it? I don't know that one. It's not funny. (laughs) This great Exodus metaphor is one that has been with us forever. It's a story that we pull back to, and it really comes from this piece, at least the beginning of it. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And you have to understand that this really sums up of about 400 years of crying out to no avail. They groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
And this groaning that we have, this cursing of creation that we have, Paul really pulls on and expects for us as a community of faith to really bring in all of this tension, okay? Was creation meant to have thorns and thistles and all of that? No. That's the whole point. It was cursed because of our willful sinfulness. And was the people of God meant to be in slavery? No, they were meant to be free from this tension. The creation awaits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. I have a feeling that the one that subjected it was not God, but it was the actions of Adam. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Even creation itself is in this tension and in this hopeful revelation that is to come. Hope is such a a great thing, and one of the my favorite times of the year, some of you got to experience it, is Advent for us. And this Advent for me came a long time because if you're still a believer in Santa, I'm probably going to bash your hopes here, you know. But I just, me and Mr. Claus, we couldn't come to a really good understanding. You know, I felt like he wanted all of the glory for Christmas. And I was like, well, can't we shove Jesus in here a little bit? And he's like, but I am the spirit of Christmas, and I give gifts, and I'm a fat man that comes down skinny chimneys and all of this stuff. And I, I just began to wrestle as I had little children that a one-to-one ratio would not win. And I say all of that gobbledygook to tell you that the church for thousands of years here has taken four weeks of preparation for Christmas. I was like... Hey, like four times seven is a certain amount to only the one day Mr. Claus gets. I feel like I can drown him out in the noise of it all, okay? So that's really how Advent came about. And, you know, maybe it was out of impure motives. I I don't know. But I will tell you this, that it's my favorite time of the year because it forces us as a family every day to acknowledge the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're over at the house, you get to be involved in Advent devotions. If you're over there just to casually come in and say hi, and all of a sudden like 9.30 comes along, you're like, well, I didn't expect a church service while I was here. Who cares? And we've opened it up, so a lot of you have been around. And one of the prayers, the Advent blessing we have, we begin with, is... In the darkness, we light a flame of hope. A flame of hope. May it dance not only upon our Advent wreath, but within each of our hearts as well. May this, this is why, you know for years, and I still can't come up with it. There it is. That's the passage. I was was one down. Hope is the flower that blooms from the ground of faith. 
And as I prepared this message, that hope is a flower that blooms from the ground of faith. Faith really, in and of itself, is kind of a mental, a cognitive understanding that one day we'll see its finality in Jesus. But hope, it's that emotive element that has a propellingness to it. Passions and desires propel us into behavior and, and get us into something. And so hope being the flower that blooms from this ground of faith is pretty exciting. And it continues, and so with joy we keep the tradition of ages past as we encircle our Advent wreath with love and prayerful expectation. But this line again, may this Advent season bring us a new birth of hope in the ancient promises of God. And for some of us, it feels like we know that and we talk about that, but somehow we get drug back into the mire. We get drug back into the cursed fields of Adam. We get pulled back into the shackles of Egypt, and somehow we don't embrace the hope that is propelling us forward. And this is what Paul has to say about it. He says this, that hope that our present sufferings is this. We'll just go back to five just for a minute. He says this, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope helps us to understand this present age of suffering. But I will tell you this, a false start comes because there is a goal in mind, right? You're, you're looking for the last hut hut for the catcher or pitcher, whatever they say, or, or the gun, or the Simon says, or whatever, because if all you are is stuck in the mire, then suffering is absolutely unbearable. You will not finish this semester if you do not have a goal that you are striving for. Why are you at BBC? So you could write long papers and stay up at night and hate your life? Boy, that sounds like a good call, right? You could probably do that anywhere. Unless you relive the call of God in your life daily, the suffering of this present age will not make sense. The suffering that you will put yourself through this semester will not make sense if you do not have the goal that God is calling you for. What are you going for? Oh, it can change. God's bigger than your plans. But what do you have going on? Is it the mission field? Is it the youth group? Is it the preaching? Is it where are you heading and strive for it? It helps us to make sense of that. And the other thing for me is it overcomes some wrong thinking as well. In the same way, let's say, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Spirit knows 
And, and I don't know if you've ever been to those points in your life where the Spirit has to come in and intercede. Normally, those come at the dark moments of the soul. Those are the times, that, and maybe you've had them, but, uh, and I've told you before, one of the things that has oriented me in my life is the North Star. How many of you know what the North Star is? Okay, a few of you. This is, it's always intriguing to me that we, don't, we never get a unanimous participation, you know? How many of you know what the North Star is? I would have a hard time, there's someone in here that doesn't know what the North Star is. Does anyone not know what the North Star is? Or even the Death Star? I mean, <laughs> the North Star is fairly easy because you can always find the Big Dipper in the starlights there. And then the two point right over into the North Star area. And I was taught how to find the, the North Star by my dad because the road that we lived on pointed due north. And there were many a nights when out in... The Sticks, Arkansas, the stars shine really bright there. There's no noise pollution because, wow, we're back in the Sticks. And so at night you would come in, the Big Dipper is right there. It's very prominent in there. You would find the North Star. Sure enough, a lot of times the road is there right up into the North Star. And maybe it's just because it's a connection with my dad or whatever. But there's many a night's. I find the North Star. Maybe it orients me to my father, but more than that, it is the one thing that is stable in our life. And there have been many times when I've been caught in the tension between, dear Lord, when are you going to come and relieve this suffering, and this is the suffering that we have. I've been on the back porch before and been like, God, my personal budget doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't know how I am going to fulfill your call to be trained in school that costs money and live. Because I don't know how to do that and, and how are you going to make that work. And those are some bitter times. I found the North Star before when ministry got rough enough where it began to build a wedge between my marriage. And I began to say, God, how are you going to do this? If a man can't keep his household in order, if you can't bind Tammy and I together, how can we do that? There's been many a times when I've been caught in that tension of, God, just please get me out of here. And, God, you've put me here, so how can I see you in the midst of it? It helps us to make sense of our present, but also overcome some of the wrong thinking that we have. But I also believe that hope that we have in Jesus propels us forward into eternal salvation. Okay? It's something, it has a compulsive nature to it. Remember, our, our suffering, it builds perseverance, then it builds character, and, and that is what hope is built on. 
Let me just read for you the end of this, which is so powerful. Because he says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. Many have hung on to that verse in this tension of God, get me out of here. And God, how am you going to work through this? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I always say in Christian life class to anyone else that one of the goals of the Christian life is to be conformed into the image of the Son. And I want you to know this, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, was sent to this earth to live in the suffering of what we live in. Okay? Maybe it's like, God, I feel like my family has been transient. Yeah, I've been there. We were first in, you know, like Bethlehem and then Egypt and Nazareth and back and forth and all that stuff. And it's like, God, I just, why can't I have good friends like you? You had these 12 really good friends. Yeah, maybe. That kiss really hurt, though. If you want to be conformed in the image of the sun, if you want to walk in the footsteps of the sun, it isn't a call to rainbows and butterflies, but life in its fullness. I believe that Christianity is, is kind of unique in the fact that we don't encourage the community of faith to leave and to evade suffering, but to embrace it. As a means of being conformed into the image of the Son. And so oftentimes, we are like, oh man, God, I just need that sandals resort right now. The sun and the sand and the water and hey, I need a drink, thank you, you know. And it's like, what planet did that come from? That's never been in, in our vernacular, Ever. Thank you, marketing. But somehow, that's our idea of paradise, of escape, of nothing. That which you don't work for, you don't value. So that's why the suffering produces a perseverance that builds character. That which has no suffering builds... Well, it doesn't. And I will tell you that that idea of paradise isn't taught to you by Jesus Christ but the sandals resort that's trying to make money off you and oftentimes we listen to the song of the siren instead of the song of the savior and that those he predestined he also called those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's so many lines through this whole chapter that I feel like we should just kind of plaster on the bathroom mirror for the semester and for our lifetime and actually believe it and believe it to the point that it changes our behavior and our thinking. If God is for you, who can be against you? Financial woes, 
assignments, <laughs> term papers, ministry troubles, political parties. God is for you. Who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who is it that he condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who has raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You have Jesus Christ himself interceding on your behalf. And somehow you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all things you know this passage right in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hope is this flower that blooms from the ground of faith. Hope is something that can help us to understand our present time, our present difficulties, our present suffering. One thing that I think is more powerful than that, it will help us to overcome wrong thinking. And I know that there's not a, there is not any persecution that we have in the American church. Okay, And probably that's to our dismay because we've just grown spiritually obese and flabby and out of shape. Okay? Because we don't have that perseverance. But the one thing that I do see that Satan toys with more often than not is our internal thinking and our internal monologues. And that is one of the things that this hope of Jesus Christ needs to pervade within our church and within each of us. Is a correct understanding of what God desires for us. It should propel us forward as well into our eternal salvation. I wanted to look at this passage for us for a variety of reasons, hopefully just as a gift, because Paul comes back to this great metaphor, this great story, this image of the state of creation, being bound, being in decay, and just waiting for God to redeem it. This passage, this exodus of, man, I so want to be out of this slavery, this groaning that's going on. And I believe that that will help us to keep the boundaries. We've said for a long time in the, you know, this side of the things, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity, or love. 
The problem is, where I come from, everything is an essential. So therefore, we have no liberty. I'm like, boy, this is really hard to you know, handle here. But I believe that hope is the way that gives us this liberty to think differently, to be differently, but still be part of the same camp. And one of the reasons I wanted to actually give this message and, and just hope and this you know, kind of tension and struggling that we have now is because the next couple of weeks in chapel, I think are going to be really important for us to wrestle through a few things. So our theme this year is called out, and we wanted to talk about the church, but there are some threatening forces within the church that are so divisive that have a tension and a temptation to just divide the community of faith, churches, people, for us to demify one another. And I want to make sure that we understand that we should all be pulling towards the same direction. And when we thought about some of the forces at play, honestly, in our time and place, one of those forces deals with God created them male and female. And somehow we live in a society that would love for us to be no gender. Nothing. We're all the same. We all perform the same, get paid the same, do the same, see the same. And God has always created us uniquely and different for his glory. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking some about our, the essence, the Imago Dei that we have. We're going to be talking about some of our uniqueness and the roles that God has for us, some of the responsibilities that God is calling us to, and some of our influence. So it's going to be really great for me because we have a couple of, uh, we have some seasoned speakers that are coming up, and we have some not-so-seasoned speakers that are coming up to help us in this. So I think it'll be a great place for us to be, but... I don't believe that we can talk about this without the full understanding that, God, we aren't in your face and we don't have the fullness of your thought. But in our limited thinking and in our struggle, will you help us to have consensus? My prayer for you is that the hope of Jesus Christ will propel you, not just this semester but through a lot of hardships, that the hope of Jesus Christ will be your northern star. And in those dark times, you will find that northern star. You will relive the call of God in your life. And you will find him anew. Let me just read this last passage. Um, as we, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God Almighty, thank you for graciously bestowing salvation on us, Lord. You did not hold back even your own son for our benefit. Lord, will you forgive us of wrong thinking? 
Will you forgive us of the times that we have been tempted by the siren song and not by the Savior's words? Lord Jesus, we have another semester that's ahead of us. And it can be a semester that draws us closer to you. This suffering, it can build that perseverance and character and renew our hope. Or we can just kind of sit in, sit in the shackles of Egypt. We can continue to mope around Adam's field. Just be stuck. God, may your love propel us. May the hope of heaven draw us near. And may you be glorified in this semester. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.